Welcome to Writers Forum, a weekly presentation of WRBHFM. I'm Sherry Alexander, and this week we're talking to Brian Batt, author most recently of Pontchartrain Beach, a family affair. Welcome back to Writers Forum, Brian. Oh, thank you. Great to be back. This book I, I co-wrote with my friend Katie Danos, and we had had a ball doing it. Well, we're always glad to when locals come up with the books. It's our favorite thing. We're so provincial. <laughs> but we know you as a local boy made good um, in the big city. You're, I guess, most well known as an actor for uh, Mad Men, for mm-hmm. yeah. Sal. But before that, I had like nine Broadway shows. I know. Much of all from, no, it, you know, you could do Broadway all your life and no one ever knows who you are. And then you do one TV series and forget it. You well, know? You're skating. You're oh, yes, yeah, you. roller skating and Starlight Express. That's why I need knee replacement. And then I have cats and the rest of the list goes on and on. But it was, you know, it's what I always wanted to do. I think I come from a, a line of theatrically inclined uh Gene Pool. <laughs> well, when you describe your, your family mm-hmm. in this book, which you do a great deal of, but this isn't your first book. Um, you wrote She Ain't Heavy, She's My Mother. Yes, about Which Gail, we interviewed mother. you back then, mm-hmm. and your mother was just a lovely person, and I will mention again that she was a volunteer here at she WRBH. Was, yes, and she had one of the, she had such a lovely voice and, 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 and a beautiful smile, and just a great soul, a beautiful person inside and out. Uh, there was no pretense. There was no, uh, it was not a facade. What you saw was what you got. And um, and she was just lovely. She was the last of the real steel magnolias, you know. <laughs> well, um, you also wrote another book with Katie, your yes, um, um, co-author about design. Big Easy Style, yes. And you have a shop. We have a shop, we, yes. And Katie, we have a shop on Magazine Street, Hazelnut. We named it after... My grandmother, Hazel, um, and she was a nut. Actually, her, her maiden name was Nuss, Hazel Nuss, and she was a and very... That means nut. Nut, it does mean nut. And it was, she was a very renowned dancing maven in New Orleans. Um, still, to this day, people come to me and say, oh, your grandmother taught me dancing and, and how to be a lady. That's my favorite. Well, and your shop is a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. I, I love it. Uh, we It's something I've always wanted to do, Tom and I, and... Yeah, you know, I took a little break from theater, and you know, uh, and it was the best thing as an actor to do. I think as as uh, I think everyone should step out of their comfort zone and follow passions that they have. Uh, I've found, especially in acting, it becomes very myopic and very, very uh, tunnel vision. People, you judge yourself on your, whatever show you're working on. Um, you'll go to a little gathering, and everyone's talking about theater. That's all they talk about. And I kind of stepped away for a little bit. I think, you know, I was auditioning and not not, not getting jobs. And um, I think they could smell the desperation. And Tom and I always wanted to open a shop on Magazine Street. Every time we'd come visit, we would, you know, uh, walk the street and shop. And we love it. And that's what he did on Madison Avenue. So we did it. And it was the best thing because it freed me up as as an actor, as a person, to realize that there's an entire world out there outside of my little my, my little world of show business. And um, I, I design things for the store and also interacting with people every day. So now I, I think I have the best of both worlds. I get to go do shows and plays and movies and TV uh, in New York, L.A., all over, really. And here, thank God, there's some more filming coming back. And, um, and then also have the store. So I think life, as I say in many um, interviews, 
Life is an and proposition, not an or proposition. You can do this and that, not this or that. Well, since you're talking locally now, I, I pass by the shop every day. I go for a walk in the park. And I love this fabric that you have. Oh, the New Orleans toile, yes. It's, it's, it's very, some, dis, is that your signature? Our signature. I designed it for the store, and a dear friend of ours, I sketched it, and I'm not the best artist, so we had a dear friend who wanted to help us. And she, she Sonia O'Mara, um, uh, drew it for us, and we had it manufactured. And I just wanted something unique and signature that celebrated New Orleans that wasn't purple, green, and gold mylar. And, um, <laughs> Thank you. Do something tasteful. Bless you. And... Um, it, it has really resonated and really grounded all, not just, you know, the locals, um, expats and, and, and lovers of New Orleans, because it's a, it's a celebration of the city in a very subtle and, um, I think, you know, very classic way. I was going to say classier than most of yeah. what we're we celebrated for. The inspiration was I was in New York looking at a shower curtain in our bathroom, and it was this Asian toile, and I thought, why, why do I have an Asian toile thing? I, have, I mean, I do have... Friends that were actually were living in Asia at the time, and my, my grandparents loved the East. And But I thought New Orleans has iconic architecture, iconic imagery. Why not celebrate that in something that would be tangible and usable on a daily basis? So that's how it all came about. Well, let's get to the new book, which sure. is just a delight. This is radio, of course. People can't see it. It's, it's, <laughs> but it's more than a coffee table book, but it has just glorious pictures and it's a Pontchartrain Beach. A family um, affair. <laughs> yes. Well, tell us this this anecdote about how the Iceman... Oh, yes. Um, well, the, the story goes, my grandfather was an Iceman and he overcameth. Uh, my great-great-grandfather in the latter part of the 19th century, in the eight, I think around 1880-something, uh, uh, created the first ice manufacturing plant in New Orleans. And that was the family business. And my grandfather was working for it later on. And um, one day he was driving a horse-drawn cart delivering ice on St. Charles Avenue. And he saw on the other side of the street a Model T go by with a refrigerator. And he thought, I've got to get out of this business. <laughs> now, one of their uh, clients was all the way out at the lake at the uh, at the uh, west... Uh, the, what is it? Milne? Mil no, Mil Milneberg was on the other side. This was uh, Spanish Fort. And, and that area was um, more of a resort area. And there were pavilions and, and casinos and, and a little amusement area. And this amusement, these few amusement rides were going under. The proprietor was going under. They were able to, to purchase them for a very low cost. And it grew and grew and grew. And then right before, in 1928, they were able to acquire the rest of it and open Pontchartrain Beach on the Spanish fort side of, uh, of um, Bayou St. John right before the Depression. And they lived on Nashville, and they were going back and forth, my grandmother and my grandfather, working this little, you know, amusement area in this... It, it was kind of, you know, a more upscale kind of uh, resort area uh, out by the lake. Now, the other on the other side of Bayou St. John was Milneberg, which were a series of camps and um, piers and more honky-tonks, and, and it was more lively and jazzy at the time. Um, so during uh, the WPA works, uh, as they were driving out, they saw all this work being done um, at the lake area, filling in the land, creating Gentilly and the lakefront and, and Lakeview and like Terrace and like Vista, and putting in the seawall, and they were building a bridge over Bayou St. John. And um, the city was taking bids as to what to do at the base of Elysian Fields. 
And my grandfather proposed uh, filling in, bringing sand from uh, the Gulf Coast, white sand, beautiful white sand from the Gulf Coast, and creating a man-made beach on the on the shore of Lake Pontchartrain. And on that beach, he would place a you know wonderful amusement park. And the rest is history. And but he he was a self-taught man. He once he got into the business of the amusement business, he traveled everywhere. You know, the 1933 World's Fair was quite an inspiration to him. And that's where he saw this train called the Zephyr, which later became the name of the roller coaster, built by the Vettel brothers that were the the preeminent American uh, roller coaster, worldwide roller coaster designers. The, the Zephyr to this day is still known as one of the... And it was wooden. It was wooden. I married one of the, you know, iconic uh, wooden roller coasters, mainly because the first dip twisted. It had it, it, it curved. It had a torque. And most roller coasters were straight on, up and down, up and down, up and down. Anyway, he became renowned worldwide for his expertise in the amusement outdoor entertainment um, industry. And um, he was, he died when I was 14. And I never really got to know him as an adult. I knew him as an older man, you know, as my grandfather. He was my daddy. You know, it was, it was, I didn't really, I knew he was something. Because when he walked in a room, you knew he walked in a room and he was a snappy, dapper dresser. I mean, to his dying day. And, you know, it was kind of a blessing. He, he, he passed away in one of his favorite cities, Hong Kong, right after dancing with my grandmother on the dance floor. And it, it was kind of a, perfect way for him to go because I, could, I don't think he could have st- stood, you know, a low, a slow demise. He wanted to go out. Yeah, he wanted to go out kicking and he did. Um, but what we left behind was a beautiful legacy of uh, so many, just following your dreams. And I was inspired, I think, by him to be able to, you know, throw caution to the wind and follow my dreams and, at, at, you know, and move to New York and become an actor uh, despite the difficulties that that proposes. And I think he was quite an inspiration and to me and to many people. But what I love about the book and, and people have said, and, um, and I credit Katie as well very much because this was very much a dual effort is that it's multi-leveled in the sense that it has a bit of history. It has, um, stories from people that worked there stories from people that went there, from every oh, I walk. Love, I love the stories. The well, that's, yeah, the pictures are great, but read the stories. Well, the, I mean, obviously you tie it all together and you have some wonderful descriptions and passages, mm-hmm. but you can tell, you know, Katie must have done a lot of um, background kind of she research did. She is to a, flesh out your, your point of view. She also, you know, discovered so much that I didn't know. And you see, my father passed away in 85, um, my uncle several years ago, um, and they were the ones that, they were kind of the keepers of the guard. They knew the history, but um, we found interviews with my grandmother that told the stories and 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 the accounts of how it all came about. And, and you you got some contemporary. Um, you were speaking about when we think of Pontchartrain Beach. Those of us that weren't mm-hmm. growing up here, I always think first and foremost of the Zephyr. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, it was iconic. It, it was what you saw. You know, from far and distance, you saw that big red beacon at the top of the Zephyr. Um, uh, 
for Michael miles Michael Lewis away. contributed oh, yes. a memory. Oh, yes, Michael Throw- Lewis. and, and um, He remembered throwing up yeah. several Harry, people. Harry Connick to- Jr. remembered um, being, getting a tutorial while waiting in line about how to kiss a girl. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there's uh, Wendell Pierce. It, actually, Wendell Pierce, it was his first acting job. Wendell Pierce's first acting job to uh, do the commercial for the Raging Cajun. Now, the Raging Cajun was a, a smaller version. And well, no, no, the Raging Cajun was the first uh, um, ro- steel roller coaster that did the corkscrew and a loop um, in the Gulf South, in the in the southern region. So at one point, um, uh, Punching Beach had two wooden roller coasters, the Big Zephyr and the Little Zephyr, and then the Galaxy, which was a steel roller coaster, and the Raging Cajun. Well, so we think of the rides, but there's other aspects to um, Pontchartrain Beach that don't come immediately to mind, maybe. But after reading this book, I mean, I didn't realize what an entertainment mecca it was. Yes. Um, in its heyday uh, and, and throughout the history of the beach, um, it was a, a real, quite an epicenter for talent and um, the, the best, uh, cir- not just circus acts, but musical acts. Elvis Presley played there right before he became a huge star. several pictures of yes. Elvis, which are great. Yeah, and um, the Beach Boys and, and uh, the Animals and, and all these rockabilly and, and country and western groups and rock groups and soul groups and Irma Thomas, you know, which I love Irma. I called, talked to Irma and she, she said, Brian, I played there before integration and after integration. She, she was one of the first. And um, it was, it, and also, you know, the top of uh, circus acts and high wire acts and what at one point when the beach first opened there was no charge there was uh, you would you could go out to the beach you know uh swim the we provided punch train beach provided the lifeguards which also Frank Minyard was one of the lifeguards growing up, which is in for, his for story. For those of you not blessed to be from New Orleans, he was our coroner. Coroner. And he was a physician. And, and he, I think what, he said he saved more, more lives. lives at the beach than he did being, you know, a physician. Um, what a lovely gentleman. What a lovely, interesting, and fascinating, and wonderful gentleman. We spent an afternoon speaking with him. And uh, I remember his life. election posters, and he's playing the trumpet or yes. something out by the fields, the mm-hmm. killing fields of the Yes, he's quite, quite, we have some wonderful characters. Uh, yeah, it's quite a mecca. People could go, bring a picnic lunch, you know, swim, and if they felt like riding a ride, they could buy a ticket, and um, that's how, and people would go see the acts. Also, there were the beauty pageants, uh, which was very, you know, that really started in uh, the East Coast in New Jersey, you know, uh, uh, the boardwalks, and, um, but my grandfather brought it here, and, uh, some very famous Miss New Orleans that were crowned at Dorothy the beach, Lemore. Dorothy L'Amour. <laughs> and then he branched it out. My favorite is a picture of Elila Hay Owen as uh, Miss Bywater. Um, but, and we talked She's to some... She's a locally prominent... Actress, inter- yes. Yeah, he recently passed away this yeah. year. Um, but we, uh, we also talked to several of the beauty pageant winners, and it was just heartwarming to hear their stories about how wonderful it was. It was all before this, you know... Uh, I don't know the, the whole big competition. It was, it was a very small town, uh, which was which was lovely. And, and then, you could tell. I mean, some from some of the pictures, you know, the bathing suits. Oh, they made they them. Pick, yeah, they made them themselves. That yeah. was one of my favorites. Another great aspect of the beach that everyone talks about when when I, they talk to me about the book, and we of course had to include it, was the Bally High, uh, which you know was my grandfather was always looking for the newest thing. One thing I always remember about him. Besides his vibrant personality, he read like three or four newspapers a day. He 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 was a self-educated man. I'll get back to the, uh, 
this, but I, one thing, I, you know, we always hear stories about grandparents of our certain age that had, well, I had, I had to go to work at a certain, you know, young age. My grandfather, you know, left school. Uh, he didn't have a proper high school education, uh, mainly because the family business needed him. And at that time, um, I couldn't understand as a child, like, why did this happen? And doing the research, we realized there was the outbreak. There was a big yellow fever um, epidemic, epidemic, which killed, you know, a lot of the the workforce. Huge proportion Huge, of yes. the population. And then on top of that, World War One. Yeah. You know, took a lot of the work male workforce out. So if you had, I, think a, I read some statistics, something, and it was unbelievable. It was something like ten yeah. percent of men of a certain age. It it was devastating, and a lot of young men had to go to work, and, and thank God they had a you know a very successful family business for him to go into. Uh, but um, now I can't remember where are. It's coming with well, age. You were going to talk about the Valley High. Oh, the Valley High, yes. Well, my grandfather was always like, what's the next thing? What What's the newest thing? He would always ask me as a, when I was even a kid. He was like, what, what are you listening to? Why do you like that music? What's, you know, what, what is it about it? That he wanted to get the pulse of what was, what was new, what was happening. Um, so the trend was he, you know, they traveled so much. And out in California, he saw one of the first beachcomber uh, tiki, tiki tiki restaurants, yeah. bars open up, and he loved it. And having, you know, many of his friends, sons, and 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 uh, family members had had served in World War II, coming home. Um, so post World War II, this was a huge thing that he also got actual recipes for some of those drinks. I tried to make some of the drinks from the recipes, and <laughs> there are things that are not made anymore because the <laughs> FDA said, "No way, this is a hallucinogenic." Um, so he followed that and, and became for years the go-to Polynesian, you know, tiki restaurant in New Orleans and until, like, I want to say it closed uh, and it, it stayed open after the beach closed into the, the 80s. 80s. Yeah. Uh, Peggy Scott Laborde, of course, you have a wonderful picture of her, <laughs> her and Errol, Errol her and, wedding. And yeah. she 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 did one of her documentaries on Channel 12, which mm-hmm. is the local PBS affiliate. Um on lost restaurants, yes, and she yes. had quite some footage of the, the Valley High. High. It was quite the event, and it, they really created this tropical paradise and the big windows looking out over the palm trees and the midway. And it was great because parents could bring their kids; they could be, you know, perfectly safe, you know, riding the rides and 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 having a good time while the parents had a good time having some mai tais and some fog cutter drinks inside the uh, the air conditioned um, Polynesian paradise. Now, were were you, are you old enough? I don't. I know you're pretty young no, <laughs> compared to me. Well, um, were you old enough to to spend much time there? Oh gosh, yes. It um, it closed in 1983, and I graduated. I I was 20 when it closed, so um, I did. I grew up there. It was my. I wanted to go into the family business. I wanted to turn Pontchartrain Beach into the next Disneyland. Um, unfortunately, there was not enough land. And, um, you know, it was a very you know, sequestered little little strip of land that was not able to increase in size. And my, you know, at, at, at when I was coming into age, that, that style of entertainment, my father and my uncle realized, was, it was waning um, all over the country in the 70s, late 70s and 80s. That style of entertainment, many, many, many small independently owned amusement parks were closing, giving way, of course, to the big mega theme Disney parks. World. Yes, and it, it's the natural progression. Um, also, what also fed into this, because everyone asks, why did it close? 
uh, was also the, the growth of litigation and, um, you know, back in the 40s and 50s and early 60s, if you stubbed your toe, you didn't sue somebody. <laughs> and on top of that also... Didn't somebody say it would it would be uninsurable Uninsurable. Today. It would be uninsurable. You couldn't do it today. You could not do it today. And um, also the... Uh, the insurance, the you know, it's it's an expense of the new rides and maintenance. It was, you know, it was interesting. I, I I thought of it also the other night on the Golden Globes when Carol Burnett was talking about her variety show that it could not be done today because of the expense, unfortunately. But, you know, we do have this wonderful memory and, um, you know, that, and, you know, my father passed away two years after it closed and it really was, you know, the right time. It was, you know, it had served its purpose over the years, and then we have some wonderful, wonderful memories. And um, people say, well, one of my favorite things, my friend Billy Ripner from um, high school wrote me a note and said that uh, he loved the book and he thanked me and Katie for writing it, mainly because he got to share his childhood with his children. And I thought, wow, that I didn't even think of that, but what a, you know, what a wonderful thing to say and what a wonderful thing to have happened. Well, would you, um, I heard you read a passage, um, I'm looking to see if we have enough time, uh, at one of your, you know, your readings at Octavia Books. For people that haven't seen the book, it's it's not a straight narrative. You have each chapter at Mm -hmm. the beginning. Right. You have an introduction and describe entertainment or whatever. What's going on, And then you have... um, Then there's... The chapel of quotes and um, and I actually did the, yes I did I did do the well, layout which is no wasn't in my my toolbox until recently this is one of my favorite pictures this big um, full bleed on these two pages of these of 1946 July 4th um, and uh, this is a gentleman came in the store and said that's my mom on the beach on the beach he saw her that way he couldn't believe it it was quite exciting. Well, this is this is a. I'll try to do it as quickly as possible. Um, this this is a little one of my stories because we have family stories in it. Because I think it would be kind of fun to have an inside view. This is called "Nearer My God to Thee." As a small child, I was frightened by any ride where my legs dangled outside of the car. Oddly enough, I adored the terrifying Zephyr and the Wild Mouse, but the benign Ferris wheel, breezy paratrooper, and mellow Sky Ride were a no go. The reason for my intense phobia harks back to an early spring day when my older brother Jay and I went out to the park to test the new rides, something we often did on, before opening day. Now, for the sky ride test, we took our places on the painted yellow circles. The conveyor car scooped us up, and the safety bar was quickly lowered, and we were up, 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 and away. From the very tippy top, we came to a grinding halt, and I took immediate dislike to my predicament. While I tried to remain calm, my ever-compassionate brother started to make the car bounce as he shouted out phrases one could only hear from a 1970s disaster movie. Next thing I saw were two fire trucks, sirens blaring, racing down the vacant midway and stopping miles, what seemed miles, below my dangling feet. The fire ladder slowly cranked upwards, extending all the way to our car, and I really started to lose it at the thought of peeling myself out of the car Midair, without a net, I was a blubbering mess. While Jay sarcastically recited the twenty-third psalm, "Yea, I walked through the shadow of the valley of death; I shall fear no evil," <laughs> which he had recently learned in catechism. Just as the ladder reached us, a gentleman emerged with a big camera, and there were a series of flashes and rapid-fire camera flick clicking. And it took every bit of my courage 
to muster to give a smile given the circumstances, but I guess it's instinctual for me to pose for a camera. As it turns out, the whole thing was a publicity event to show the safety of the new ride. Everyone knew this but me. I must have missed that memo. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, yeah, it's, you know, the, my favorite thing about the book is that it really is about family. It was a family business. And one of my favorite, this is my favorite quote, is at the end of the book. You know, when I asked my brother and cousins how they would spend one last hour at Pontchartrain Beach if they could, it was quite wonderful in telling that all of our responses included just a quiet walk on the midway with our fathers. Because for us, it was just a family affair. That's really beautiful. Um, as I said, the, the pictures are glorious, the postcards, the layout. I had no idea that, that you did it yourself. Yeah, I didn't know I was going to do it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, wait a minute. Because, you know, I think it had to have a look. It has to have, you know, and a feel and a tone. And um, whether visual or audio, um, you know, there is a definite through line of, of um, like a roller coaster. You know, I always often say it, it was very... Very good for me to grow up with a family business being a amusement park and having a roller coaster because life is a roller coaster. It's up and down. It's slow. It's fast. But it's best when you throw your hands up and just enjoy the ride. Oh, what a great image. <laughs> yeah. I have to ask you this sure. before we go. Would you sing the, the oh, ad? <laughs> of course. At the beach, at the beach, at the Pontchartrain Beach, you'll have fun, you'll have fun every day of the week. You'll ride the thrilling rides, laugh till you split your sides at Pontchartrain, Pontchartrain Beach. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. A one-person one audience here, but the audience, I'm sure, at home will be very appreciative. Sure. I've heard that song. I've been here almost 30 years, and I've, I've heard it quite often. You know, a friend of mine was uh, visiting uh, uh, old, um, you know, retirement home, and someone started to sing the song, and it turns out this little, little, little old lady started to sing, and she was the voice. She recorded it. Oh, my goodness. Yes, her son was with her, because no, she was the I voice. I got the chills. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it touched so many people, and, and what a great thing to have your your legacy and your family name associated with something that brought people joy. Well, it's lovely. Um, you've been listening to Writers Forum, and we certainly want to thank our guest this week, Brian Batt, um, with his uh, co-author, assistant author, Katie Danos, um, has written Pontchartrain Beach, A Family Affair. I'm Sherry Alexander for WRBH.